We are about to embark on a study of the birth and the early growth of the church. One of the more exciting times in the history of the world, if you didn't know. We'll be focusing on a book called The Acts of the Apostles. Usually just Acts, that's what we call it. Since we just finished the good news, the gospel of John, and Acts is next in the assembly of books that we call the Bible, many people assume that it was written by the same person and, and after that last gospel. But no, if you look closely at the handy-dandy Bible reading checklist, which you just got, you'll see the dates that we think those were written. John was likely written long after the fall of Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD's when that happened. Many Bible scholars believe it was very probably written in the 90s, that is to say some 60 years after Jesus died and rose again. Now, None of this is critical to understanding uh, the Bible. And the Bible doesn't record when these were written. But it may help to understand the setting within which something was written. Now, we know the same person, Luke, wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. There's many reasons we know that. As an example, they're both addressed to one Theophilus, and so the same person seems to have written it. And, of course, here's an interesting fact. We don't know if Theophilus, which means one who loves God, was a given name or a title. <laughs> we don't know. Now, being a Christian, then, could cost you your life. So it was common to use nicknames in writing to protect the innocent. In any event, Dr. Luke, whom the Apostle Paul called the beloved physician, as an educated man, wrote a careful history, first of the life and ministry of Jesus, the gospel, and then, in the book we are now considering, a history of the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Now we will see in Luke's second work how the apostles, primarily Peter and Paul, and others dedicated and sometimes gave their lives to advance the kingdom of God. But before he begins this journey, Luke gives us a summary of the life and work of Jesus. The way in which the early church, particularly the apostles, was prepared to share the living hope that is Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. The beginning of this work of Luke's, in words breathed out by the Holy Spirit, amounts to a basic course in Christology. So here you are, in a seminary class. You ready? Jesus 101. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Jesus is, in human form, the eternal Son of God. God. Everyone knew that the Father was God. The Son, it's now clear to everyone, was also God, has always been God. Jesus made it clear that the Holy Spirit is, always has been, God. The Son never wasn't God, always will be God, just as the Father and the Holy Spirit always have been, never won't be, and always will be God. Okay? But, Jesus is also independent in person from the Holy Spirit and the Father. He's not the Father. He's not the Spirit. And yet he's still one in nature with them, the essence of who they are. God is one as to nature, three as to persons. 
And at one point, this one God in three persons created all that is, the universe, this dimension. And each of the persons of the Trinity took on specific jobs in this creation. Luke is about to summarize everything that was said and done by the person of the Trinity, we call the Son, in human form. From the moment the creator of all things added a human nature to his person, confined himself in that way to a single cell in the womb of a teenage virgin girl, until the moment when in his human form he left this earth, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of history. It's a pretty tall order. So, well, let's see how Luke does. Jesus was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. There are a couple of interesting points about the Son here. The first involves the nature of the Son. Well, natures. Remember that the Son always was and always will be God. So he has a divine nature. The same one that is shared by the Father and the Holy Spirit. To become a man, he added a human nature to his person. But human natures are limited. His human nature was perfect, that is to say he was without sin, but so perfectly was he human that he was limited, like all humans. The Son, in his human form, needed the help of the Holy Spirit to know what to do and to teach. And for that matter, to be able to do and say what he needed to. Paul addressed this point when he wrote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. In his human form, the person of the Son made himself nothing, like you and me. <laughs> he acted as a servant. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit, not to be who he was, but to do the work he did because of who he was. His person was that of the Son, but his power in his human nature came from the Holy Spirit. This becomes very important in just a few verses. Now, let's go back to our scripture in Acts to get the second point. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, a basic trait of Jesus is that he uses agents. He chose the apostles. He gave them commands. Why does someone give another person commands? so that those they command will do their work. We are chosen by God so that we can do his work. So that we can share the hope that he's given us, the living hope that is Jesus Christ. Right, back to Luke. He now gets to the primary work of the Son. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the central point of his coming. As Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The one thing we must always confirm is that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And what will people think of you when you are a witness for the resurrection? Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead, victor over the death and sin. You can be forgiven because he died for your sins. <laughs> well, what will they think when you say such things? Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. But to those who are called, some will get angry when they trip over the truth of Jesus' resurrection. Some will think you are fools. Some will believe. But actually their response really shouldn't be your concern. It should not determine whether or not you sing the good news. You contend for the risen Christ. What was the point of his coming after all? Let's go to the end of Acts 1 verse 3. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. Remember kingdom of God. That Jesus taught about it indicates its importance. We'll come back to it in a few verses. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, there's a lot here. John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Gospel writer, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, his life is recorded in the New Testament, but he worked as part of the old system, the old dispensation of the law, the way God worked with people before Jesus rose from the dead. John represents the end of the old dispensation. Then people looked forward to the salvation of God. Now, the salvation of our souls is completed in Jesus. Then, they had only physical acts by which they drew near to God. Now, the person of the Spirit lives within us. Just as the Holy Spirit worked in the life of the perfect man, Jesus, now he would work through Jesus in the lives of imperfect men and women. He works now through imperfect you and me. Well, I know I'm imperfect. If you're perfect, let me know. Needed like do something with you real quick before you change. <laughs> and not just giving power to work, but the Holy Spirit also seals, guarantees, actualizes the saving of our souls. A living God working in us. Hmm. How can a person not be awed? At that thought, either they don't understand who they are or they don't understand who God is. And then there's this. We still live in a physical universe, one that is clearly not right. One that has yet to be saved. The disciples were acutely aware of this. So we can understand why they asked their next question. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, Jesus, are you going to set things right? Are you going to clean up this mess now? In this time? It's a reasonable question and 
All right, it's tinged with nationalism. They thought the solution to the world's ills was to to have Israel replace Rome as the world power. <laughs> you know, that wasn't going to work. And neither will the world be better because America is the world power. That, that doesn't do it. But Jesus doesn't get sidetracked. He answers the spirit of the question. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You guys are deckhands, not the captain. You're the carpenters, the masons, the electricians, not the architect. I know they didn't have electricians, but you get the gist of it. You are creatures. He is the creator. He has the plan. You do your part to work out his plan. And by the way, there's another part of the character of the Son that Luke teaches here that's, that's kind of easy to miss. The persons of the Trinity are close beyond our imagination. We, we don't actually have a way to understand their closeness at all. They are one in nature. They have the same essence. They are one in will. And yet, the Son credits the Father. And as you read through the Bible, you discover that each person of the Trinity strives to bring glory to the others. To serve the others. If God does that, can we not forget ourselves and dedicate our lives to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, can we really do this? <laughs> can we even hope to achieve this? How could the disciples ever achieve this? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit worked in the life of the perfect man, Jesus. Now he would work through Jesus in the lives of imperfect men, and women, now he works through imperfect you and me. I know, we've already said this. But it's a big deal. <laughs> okay, Those early saints did become effective witnesses for Jesus. Not just in Jerusalem where they were, but to the whole nation. And to a neighboring nation with a whole other religion. In fact, they witnessed in every known nation with every known religion. They witnessed of Jesus Christ. To everyone they could, no matter who they were or where they lived. And we can be effective witnesses for Jesus, where we are. Since we too have that gift of the Holy Spirit. It only takes a few words, a small action to speak Jesus when your life is focused there. It's a pretty tiny part. Yes, I know. We may have a small part. But you can have an effect here and beyond our own borders. We can witness to every lifestyle and every religion. First, you're here. You're learning about Jesus. <laughs> That's enough to get started all by itself, right? You Wednesday, show up for some soul food. Learn more so that you can share what you do know about Jesus' nature. His origin, his death, his resurrection. And you learn how each belief system sees Jesus. Obviously, biblical Christianity. But also Islam. How do they see Jesus? How do Mormons look at Jesus? Trust me, it's not the same Jesus we know. <laughs> what about Jehovah's Witness? How do all these people see Jesus? How else will you know how to show them the real Jesus if you don't learn who he is? And as for the world, hey, we already have an effect. Through Converge Northwest, that reaches all over the world. The Millers... 
the Harmanings, our part might be small, but it's a part. I mean, you put a dime in the offering and you make a difference. A single letter that you might send of encouragement can change the world. One prayer can move mountains. <laughs> and maybe it doesn't feel like much. But much or little, if you seek to share Jesus with the world in any way, you will make a difference. If you, if you not read Jesus' comment about the widow's tiny little offering, you should definitely read it if you haven't. Whatever your part in this work, in Jesus' work, do it. And you will find a joy that is indescribable. Jesus took on human flesh and carried out a ministry in this world. But that ministry, as a man, stopped. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The ascension. Now this, of course, many deny as well. Why go up? Well, that's dumb. What was he going to do? Go to another planet? (laughs) Well, we must remember that the spiritual is played out in the physical. This physical ascension is a metaphor of the spiritual change that was to take place. The human being, Jesus the Christ, had been teaching and demonstrating spiritual truth to the disciples. God in human form, right in this world. Now God would continue his work, both teaching and demonstrating truth, in spirit form. Specifically, the Holy Spirit will continue the work of Jesus in his disciples. And in us. But why up? (laughs) Why Why did Jesus go up? What other direction would you choose? I mean, how would you make the statement? You can't just have him disappear. I mean, think of it. They would just wonder when he was going to appear again, right? You know, pop out, pop in. The best way to illustrate the truth that the person of the Son in his human form was not going to be the means of teaching them spiritual truths was for Jesus in his human form to ascend while they watch him until he was out of their sight. That's the best way to say it, visually, physically. Ah, but then listen to this. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus left this world, they said. But his work in this world is not done yet. In his human form, Jesus will return to this earth. And every breath you take draws us closer to that moment. We will see Jesus. We will see Jesus. Just as the disciples saw him when we ascended, we will see Jesus when he comes down again. We will see the living hope we share when he returns. We will see that. And he will set things straight. (laughs) Which makes me wonder, how straight is your life now? If Jesus came back right now, would you have to straighten out your life? You know what I mean. Would you be embarrassed if Jesus stood in front of you and reviewed everything you've done the last few weeks? Everything you've done. He does know everything. He sees everything we do. 
Could you look him in the eye? Well, I got some good news. You don't have to worry. <laughs> Jesus paid the price of all your sins on that cross. You don't have to worry about that part. But wouldn't it be nice to be living right when he comes, not get caught in the middle of doing, well, you know what that is for you. Jesus will come to set things straight. And one day later yet, he will make a new heaven and a new earth where everything and everyone will be perfect. There won't be any need to set things straight anymore. And there you have it. A quick look at the work, the ministry of Jesus in this world. Jesus 101. Hope 101. What will you do about it? How will you respond to Jesus? Our living hope. Do you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus that changes everything in your life? That saturates your being so that you constantly think of him and desire to serve him? Is the news of him like a fire that burns inside you that you have to let out? Has your relationship kind of dropped into this ho-hum addition to your busy schedule? Are you more important to you than he is to you? If so, perhaps it's time that you make a real commitment to Jesus. And maybe you're one of those people that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus at all. Well, we want you to know that the living hope that is within us, you can love to. And here's how you do it. Three steps. Admit the need of him. You need him. You need help. Believe he can and will save you. And then commit your life to him. All of it. And that's it. Jesus 101, you know, we can't explain it any more simply. But maybe we should ask one more question. Will your life, this afternoon, this afternoon, will your life show Jesus to a world in desperate need. Let's pray. Father, to look at this simple truth, well, maybe it's not so simple, but it's the simplest way we can think of it. Your Son, eternally God, added a human nature to his person so perfectly, he didn't even know who he was when he was born. He didn't, didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was to do, but he was who he was. So over time, he began to seek to do your will. And he naturally sought your spirit. And in his human form, perfectly human, with all the limitations that humanity brings, he nevertheless lived exactly the perfect way so that we could be saved. So we couldn't get there on our own. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this gift. Now, Lord, help us to tell people, however that plays out in our life, help us to do that. Because we know how important it is. 70, 80, 100 years. doesn't matter. Nothing compared to eternity. 
We want people to be ready to live forever. And the only way to do that is to give themselves away to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.